Hello. Hello. This is a special episode of Ear Snacks called Ear Snacks for Parents. And you can guess what that means. It's not for kids. It's for all you mama birds and daddy birds out there. Yeah, but before we get started talking about all the super secret special stuff that goes into making ear snacks. Spoiler alert, you have to fry them twice. <laughs> and what to expect in season two. Please, please, please do two things for us. Pretty please? Pretty please with an extra crispy french fry on top. Thing one. Please rate and review Ear Snacks on your podcast app, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. This season, season two, which starts up next week, we're going to shout out the funniest new reviews we get on the show because it's the number one way people find out about our awesome podcast. Thing two. Number two, tell one friend about Ear Snacks. Just one. Better yet, grab their phone and get them subscribed. Now is really the time. Now is the time to spread the word to neighbors, playground pals, your dentist, total strangers. Got it? Okay, let's get this show on the road. Here we go. Here we go. What do I want an ear snacks kid to be when they're grown up? What do I, I'm gonna start crying because we have a four month old. So like, obviously this is all tied up and like, what do I want my children to be? Here we go. I'm recording. Hi, Andrew and Polly. Hey, Eliza. Hi, Liz. <laughs> we sat down with our friend, Eliza Gregory, to talk about ear snacks. Eliza's an artist and educator who works with communities to create art that examines what it means to know each other. Eliza makes beautiful photographs, she writes and publishes, and you might recognize her from talking about The Box Project on Ear Snacks Season 1. We are so thankful that she was willing to give us the gift of her time. Thank you, Eliza. To sit down with us and talk about what goes into making our podcast. Which is a lot of stuff. It's a lot, a lot of, stuff. of stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other people who are pouring their hearts and souls into making awesome podcasts for kids as well. And you can discover all their lovely content on the brand new Kids Listen app. And... For those of you who listen all the way to the end, we have a prize for you. <gasps> we do? Just kidding. It's just your regular life and one more awesome day with your kids. Hi, Gertie. That's our new daughter, Gertie. <laughs> All right, let's go to Eliza. What are some things that you really loved reading, listening to, and watching when you were kids? Okay, things I listened to as a kid. We had like audio program type things that we listened to in the car. We listened to a lot of children's music that my mom found through this catalog that I don't know if it still exists, but she would like read reviews and we would listen to, gosh, there was some band called the Banana Slug. Did you have that too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dirt, yeah. You, dirt you made my lunch. Dirt you made my lunch. Yeah. yeah so, so, so stuff like that that she found for us. But then we had this like series of tapes and I've, I found them again. They're called the Little Thinker Tapes. And they were kind of a exploring, adventuring audio tape. There was a host and she would lead you on this kind of imagination adventure. One into outer space. One was like in a hot air balloon. There was one that was about different kinds of music. You were this little thinker and she was kind of talking to you. And then she had kind of sidekicks and they would get into these trouble spots <laughs> where like there was a, you were in the hot air balloon and you accidentally 
drifted down onto an oil rig and then you know the oil rig was like and it was like oh we gotta get out of here and then there was time in it for they had to repair the spaceship or they had to fix the hot air balloon or we had to get off the oil rig or whatever when the program would play a little bit of music and you would have a chance to write or draw in your journal that probably came with the tape i don't remember um but what we did is we kind of like would play out these whole things and we would like get a laundry basket and put a pillow in it and we would be in a spaceship and we would do the thing and we would get out and we'd fix our spaceship and we would like you know we were i was really into them and and when people talk about how like oh my gosh podcast for kids it's like such a great idea i can't believe anybody's ever had it before i'm like no they had it they just weren't podcasts. it was on a tape cassette yeah. we had we had our own record player that we could play our little records on our there was like Big Bird learns about the orchestra, and there. Oh, I um, think I remember that. Yeah, um, and Peter and the Wolf or the Nutcracker, where you know maybe there's bits of story, but then there's like large, expansive spaces where you get to do the imagining and the listening and the drawing on the floor, or the staring out the window, or whatever, whatever you're doing as a kid. And I think we that was a big part of our our listening experience. Yeah. So those that was like the thing I remember the most. I listened to them so much. I mean, I wore those things out. I was really into them. There's something about listening that allows you to be doing something else at the same time, which is not to say that you should always be multitasking or always be doing multiple things. But there's there can be for certain moments in your day and certain people a really satisfying um, combination of activity and listening. And I think that that's a really important thing to, to note um, that's different from other media. We conducted this really informal survey of our listeners, a really small scope. We're talking like 50-something responses. It's, but we did ask, you know, when, when and where is your child listening? And what, are, what is your child doing while listening? We guessed that a lot of people are listening in the car. And I think most people are listening in the car. But... Uh, some people are listening in the house, in the living room, maybe while the parent is also there but engaged in another activity and the child is playing on their own. Some people are eating while listening. Um, some people are coloring. Um, some people are playing. Taking a bath. We have one. We have a couple fans that like to listen to them as bedtime stories. Bedtime stories. Yeah. Um, some kids are like, you know, doing Legos. Um and then, but but most, a lot of the time, these answers that came back, when the kid is doing something else, they'll stop at times and then like engage with the podcast or ask a question or chime in on some of the lines yeah, or re- sing re- some of the songs. The story, yeah. Yeah, when the song comes up in an episode, they might be dancing. Um, but it occurred to me that like when you're a teacher and you look out in your classroom, because we've both, Andrew and I have both taught before, you have different kinds of learners and some kids like they can't sit and just receive information and hold on to it. Most kids. Yeah. And <laughs> and so it, the thing that's really cool to me is not that I'm asking children to multitask or, you know, it's not that like listening as a singular activity isn't valuable, but sometimes it opens up their brain to receive the information in a way that's really cool, I think. Yeah. What I notice uh, with my daughter is that we'll listen to things in the car together and then she'll, when she wants to repeat it, if we have a bunch of time at home, she'll kind of alternate where she has some games that take up her whole imagination where she's talking to herself and she's building that whole world. But then after a little while that she might get tired and it feels helpful to have another input that sort of 
structuring the game or structuring her time a little bit. So that's when she might put on the podcast and listen to the podcast or some music or a story. It's a way for her to like ratchet down the intensity of mental activity or just shift it. Yeah, well, it's also like an input for her play, Mm -hmm. right? And it takes like, it allows her to take her place somewhere else. It's like a tiny, tiny bit of food coloring and then it stretches so far. I loved hearing you talk about like getting your laundry basket and towels and becoming the spaceship and fixing your spaceship. How do you imagine kids now who are listening to Ear Snacks are going to give those ideas and that experience a life after the podcast is over? That's a really good question, Eliza. (laughs) You know, we don't do too much narrative stuff in the podcast, though we've done a little bit. Characters, you know, with a skits, story with yeah. characters and skits. Yeah. Um, we do hear that the kids really latch on to those and repeat them and then recycle them and then they evolve. So, for example, we just got a voice recording from a kid who's going to be in the second season in one of the early episodes and included this incredible dialogue between Kevin and Louise the and two, I think us two giraffes, too. Is, yeah. The two giraffes from yeah. the podcast. Yeah. But she's doing all the voices. Kevin, Louise, Andrew, and Polly. Yeah. Um, and they're doing this whole thing, this whole play. And it was like the best thing I've ever heard in my life. So, I, you know, I hope that kids are integrating the dialogue, but they do kind of like get into the episodes. And the and the topics, really. The, yeah, like, the topics. It's, it's the coolest thing because... For instance, kids know what shadows are. They see their shadows around all the time. But I know kids now who will play shadow tag because we mentioned it in the episode and who, you know, who will think about their shadows changing over the course of the day and notice that. There was a kid who listened to the Beeps episode. and Yeah, that's when he was like yeah, three, three and, and a half, half I want to say. Yeah, and immediately asked his mom uh, to print out a, uh, you know, a visual representation of the Morse code alphabet. And he said, I want the Morse code alphabet so I can write my name in Morse code. I don't know if it had really occurred to me until that moment that these episodes can really extend into your life. At that point, we were publishing like one episode a month. So there's plenty of time to get really, really into any one of the topics. You know, you could really like go super hard into beeps and just think about beeps all month. Um, And we always thought like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we put out some curriculum that was attached to these things so that people could extend them. But it turns out people kind of do it on their own anyway, which is probably more rewarding for us in less time. (laughs) (laughs) When you're thinking about in general, what you want kids to be taking away from the experience of of listening to Ear Snacks, what are your goals? Um, What are you thinking about as you're making Ear Snacks? I cheesily think about values. I want the media we create to reflect how brave and kind and empathetic and interested kids can be in small things and in what other people have to say. And I hope it both kind of reflects those tendencies in in our audience and in small kids and inspires them to to keep pushing those things. I want what I want for our kids, really. I want other listeners to be able to see the world and consider specific things. You know, kids kids don't have a lot of schemas yet. When they see a kitchen, they don't see a kitchen. They see a sink and a trash can and a refrigerator. And we, as grown-ups, you know, we ignore most kitchens we walk into. You know, you say, oh, you, you catalog that in your brain as a kitchen, but they don't do that yet. And... 
when you kind of encourage them to to look at things that way one at a time and then consider you know what they can do with them and maybe what other people think about doing with them and how they fit together um then it's it just starts this whole kind of chain reaction of um wonder and then bravery and then hopefully empathy and a desire to to kind of build their relationships with things and people and ideas. I feel the same way. One thing we've talked about before is that, you know, mostly we're working with a preschool audience. We do have listeners that are five to 10 years old, but, you know, predominantly we're talking about two to five-year-olds, which means most of these kids later will not remember us (laughs) or the media that we're creating. So, Exactly what you said, Andrew, like we're helping them build healthy schemas. That's really like the best, most important thing that we want to do. I would say we just started like without that goal in mind. And then we kind of have gone more intentionally into that. And so what is a healthy schema? I mean, what's an unhealthy schema? Well, an unhealthy schema would be like damaging stereotypes But at a deeper level, maybe a really healthy schema is um, wanting to consider everything, um, being open to that line of questioning, which could stem from encountering an object or meeting a person or ending up in a situation or it it could be it could come from anything. But like we, we were when we were thinking about season two. Like one of the things I did, because I just didn't know where to start, is I said, like, what do I want an ear snacks kid to be when they're grown up? What do I I'm going to start crying because we have a four month old. So, like, obviously, this is all tied up. And like, what do I want my children to be? But it was like, you know, an ear snacks kid when they're older, I want them to stop and see something and wonder, why is that there? What purpose does it have? Who created it? Why did they create it? What was necessary? What was happening at the time that it was created so that it was put there? How can I help that thing continue to function that way? Can I help it function better? Can I... Could I create something like that? Could I create something like that? Different than that. Could I create something different than that? You know, um, Who would who, I need to work with? Yeah, who would I need to work with? Could like I talk that. to that person? Who else might use this? Why might this be important to a different person or a different group of people, you know, all those things. They're so easy to walk by that stuff every day and just not even, not even let that in. But childhood is the perfect time for that since they're, they're building, they're gathering all the bricks for their house. So it's the perfect time. (laughs) And like, hopefully then when you're older, you can put that into place in a meaningful way. Yeah. And, and I think the, the degree of thoughtfulness that we, and openness we have to people and voices is is a really important schema to develop because it's it's very easy when you're tired or when you're stuck in you know your job or whatever you're you're doing and and buried in as you get older in life i think it's really easy to forget that every single person you meet old people young people people from different parts of the world um all have uh, really interesting things to say. They have their own history. They have their own, their own places they're going. They have uh, maybe different ideas than you about something. And 
Ear Snacks is it has very little to do with with right and wrong ideas as much as it does to do with wow there's a richness and diversity of ideas that every single person has and they're both different and they're connected. Awesome. Yeah, I would say curiosity. I mean, that's a, a value that you're bringing to it. Curiosity, compassion, and humor. Um, I mean, I think that that also is a really useful value and um, thing to be modeling for for people, for our children who become people, because yeah. humor is, is a way to get through life and to be more awake in your life and to see discrepancies between things. And instead of being dismayed by that, to find that humorous, <laughs> that's part of resilience, I think. Absolutely. I think absolutely. And we had um, Stefan Shepard, who runs the kids' audio website Zoo Global, and we work with him on the Kids Listen Board. Um, he's been covering children's music and children's media and now children's podcasting um for like ever um and he's really insightful and thoughtful about this stuff and when he reviewed our our album of music that came from the first season of of ear snacks he said i would say this album like is overwhelmingly silly (laughs) which i was so surprised by because god i think about every single one of those songs i think they all have this like message and meaning and the podcast gets so heady for us when we're thinking about it and i was kind of glad that like that's the takeaway yeah, for the, kids the surface, yeah that that's like yeah. because they all are like you know kind of funny and delightful in a way if you when you're listening to them it doesn't feel like a chore to listen <laughs> to the music and hopefully it doesn't feel like a chore to listen to the podcast but that doesn't mean that there isn't important work going on so at first i was like gosh it's so much more than that and then i was like wait a second i really like that because that's really that's where kids live you know, in that silly zone. Like, they like this funny world, and hopefully hopefully we're funny enough. I don't know. If you think about how, as a small human child, you learn how to be social and how to have relationships and how to be connected, it's through repetition and exaggeration and really explicit facial expressions and really explicit expression of emotions. So even something like you guys reacting to each other and being like annoyed, like, Polly, well, how could you do this? Or Andrew, what? You know, you forgot the forks. <laughs> the forks. <laughs> and not only repetition and um, explicit overreaction, but the combination of those things. Like, okay, here, I'm going to do a thing, and then um, we're going to react to that together, and it's going to be a really big reaction, and we're going to do that over and over and over again. You are listening to Ears. How do you design ear snacks to be consumable by kids? How do kids and adults think about and consume media differently? Kids certainly listen to our content repeatedly. Kids really like to practice it and learn it. And we try to make something that's both, you know, attractive at the moment, but not so over the top and hyper that it's really trying to seep in and to be something that they can listen to repeatedly. If you think about the interview with Amos about hats. Sure. You hear about a hat and you also hear his wonderful voice and how funny he is and kind of unexpected. And that's really exciting. No no coconuts, but there were rocks. That's funny. But then also as you listen to that over and over again, both as an adult and as a child, I think it gets more and more interesting because you're forming a really rich picture of who he is. And he's talking about his life and these real things. Um, And so you're, as you as those details get solidified in your mind, you're 
you're really piecing together a picture of a character and a person. I'm going to posit a couple things about this. Posit them. I'm, is that a word? Yes. Posit? Okay. I'm going to posit a couple things. First of all, I'm going to say thank you so much that you think the media is by itself so wonderful that it's worth listening to over and over again. <laughs> and thank you to the children who think that. And yes. we hope that we are creating, you know, episodes with depth that are worth it. This um, is cool. But I do think... I do think children and adults fundamentally have different listening habits, which um, were Andrew and I are part of this organization, Kids Listen, which is a nonprofit of kids podcasters, which we've talked about before on the podcast. But we did a survey of about 400 um, parents whose kids are already listening to kids podcasts. And we did find out that kids are listening again and again and again and again. 80% of kids are listening to a podcast episode more than one time. When we did our own ear snack survey, we found that it's about 80% as well um, of kids are listening more than one time. Um, The kids that are listening um, only once tend to be a little bit older in our survey. Um, Five, for example, the listening habits, I think, start to change. And I have not, I don't have any data on how many times um, our average listener is listening to an episode, though in the Kids Listen survey, we did say that um, 20% of children who are listening more than once are listening um, more than 10 times. And we one of the like, most heartening things about the survey that we did, some people's responses to how many, what's the most time your child will listen. I'm just going to read you some of my read favorites. Some. These are good. 11 billion. Mm-hmm. That one I really liked. Um, somebody said, I can't find an infinity key on my keyboard. Um, so So things like like that that, you know just just like make make a smile okay now here's where i'm gonna like put it together and here's my posit put it posit here's my here's me positing Mm -hmm. which apparently is a word deposit your posit okay (laughs) deposit my posit (laughs) (laughs) in our survey we also asked how many people are listening at once and in our responses um 90 of the time the child is listening with an adult so if we've got 80% 80% of our respondents listening more than once, some of them listening 11 billion times. Mm-hmm. And they're also listening with at least one parent, but sometimes both parents. or And siblings and right. friends. No matter what the media is, the more times that it is repeated while listening in community, I think makes that media more powerful to that group of people, right? So like... If you were to pick a song and you and your family or your child picked a song they like and you listen to it over and over and over and over and over again, so much so that like every time you hear that song, song, either it's your song or every time you hear that song, you think about the summer that they were too. Yeah. It's very meaningful to you and your kid, but it's meaningful to you in a different way. And I think that like what we have here is the power of this like community listening, which is actually not how really podcasts are usually consumed yep they're usually, they're usually consumed, consumed through earbuds by, by adults when we say usually yep through headphones by themselves played once yep maybe shared with a friend maybe a clip is listened to again that's that's i mean i didn't conduct a study of adults but that's my understanding no, that, of podcasts at, at the podcast movement the nielsen people did a study that said that right and and sports are still consumed that way you know if you think about the olympics like people watch that as a family or but like there are fewer and fewer things that we consume collectively 
Right. And I, some people have said, oh, radio, hearkening back to the early days of radio and the campfire mentality of telling stories and sharing stories together. And like, I don't want to get too aspirational about it. I just <laughs> I just want to say that that's, that's a part really powerful yeah. that like something you have let in, whether you did it on purpose or it just happened across your path that you've replayed because everyone's listening to it that many times becomes such a part of of your family culture of, of your, your family, family vocabulary yep. of your of your child's the way they're building their schemas everything so for, for season two we're yeah. trying to be more intentional about thinking about how that is the reality and should we be you know more intentional about creating content that can be helpful families in that way i had never really thought that this is like a full circle kind of a thing but it is kind of interesting that in the end the podcast is consumed by families together often but it also starts every episode starts in that way the really the genesis for every episode is the children who are on the show how does the process of um creating the podcast relate to that um how does the how do people get involved to do interviews as a family and contribute and how do you think about that in terms of an extension of the podcast experience so the way it works is a child tells their parent i'd like to be on ear snacks the parent emails us and says my child wants to be on ear snacks we find a way to set them up in an episode. We try to pick like a diverse group of ages and um genders and potentially even like across the country or internationally where they are for every episode so that we have a nice mix of voices. We pick a little group of kids and we send home a questionnaire. That we've thought very hard about. We think about it so hard. It breaks our (laughs) brains and it really takes us through a topic really in both like a very specific way and a very broad way. It meanders around. It's meant to be done from start to finish because sometimes... A a question that's in a later segment will build on something that they have already articulated as an answer in a previous section. It's supposed to be fun in some ways. Yeah, it is supposed to be fun. We usually throw in some fun because like it's hard for kids to sit and be interviewed. Sometimes they want to and they just want to talk. And sometimes they're they're really shy. And it's like they, they would like to be on the podcast and they'd really like they have things to say, but you need to warm them up to it. Right. What makes a good parent interviewer and what are also some of the pitfalls that parents fall into? Yeah. So, okay. So, um, so what we do is we send home this questionnaire and then parents interview their kids at home with a when they're comfortable usually. with the smartphone. Yeah. Um, and we have had kids come in the studio, but we find that the kids being at home is really the key to them feeling comfortable talking to their parent instead of talking to us is really like an easy way for these kids to participate and feel good about their process. Some people worry a lot about the sound quality. Um, some people don't. And it really, it doesn't matter. Um, the The biggest pitfall is talking over your kid, which yeah. is a really, really natural thing to do when you're interviewing somebody. Yep. Uh, you may have had this experience, Eliza, but stopping yourself from affirmatively repeating the thing that they just said or saying, yeah, or building momentum and adding the next question on before they're done finishing the question. Yeah. So yeah. like the hardest thing to do for a parent and it's been for me too is when you ask your child a question is oh. to just let it be quiet <laughs> and wait and wait. And if they've had enough to eat and it's an okay time of day, yep. they have an answer for you. But um, that's yeah, that's the hardest one. Have there been any interviews you listened to where you were like, oh, that was such a good idea or where you felt inspired by the parents? 
in our episode on critters, we had uh, kids interviewed all around the world about the animals that they see in their natural habitat. And that was a super open questionnaire. That's one of my favorites, by the way. I think actually that might be my favorite child interview mashup. Well, one of the things that's so wonderful about it, we don't usually include the parents in the final episode. Usually the parents are edited out and the children are put in context with each other. And and sometimes parents do come into that because there's just something that's so delightful between yeah. a parent and a child that it has to stay. But in Critters, we realized one of the things that was so wonderful about the interviews was the interplay between parent and child, the way they talk to each other, the natural spaces that happen differently between them as opposed to how every parent and every child has a different way of talking to each other speed of talking to each other like it really felt like these moments it it was so special that in the end we included the parents as well and this this does happen where parents learn something about their kids that they've never learned before like we just had a parent who realized his kid had learned sign language and he didn't know that had happened <laughs> you know when we say we want children to build healthy schemas and we part of that includes like the thoroughness of thought and that really requires you to be open-minded about the kinds of things you're willing to think about and in a way that's like very radical and is a little like difficult to say that you're putting all of that into a podcast for preschoolers but it is all there it's really fun to hear just what are the things that motivate you to make this and to pour your energy into it because it's really been a huge undertaking and you've put a lot into it um, a lot in so many different ways and and also what are the moments in each podcast where you feel the most excited and the most committed to it and the most satisfied by what you're doing I'm going to take the second part of that question first. The second part is the answer. Because the, the second part, part is the answer yeah. to the first part. Yeah. Um, there's like a moment when we start to get the kids interviews back and we start to listen to them and hear the individual things they say, but also hear them all together. Um, there's a moment during that usually, but sometimes it happens later in the process. There's a, But there's usually during that a moment where everything starts to click. And we start to really, if we didn't already know what the episode was about, about, and I don't mean the episode title, I mean what the episode's about. If we didn't already know, we we really know and we get really excited towards letting everybody else know also. Yeah, um, and that's the larger answer. I mean, this is this is media we think needs to exist. This is so, like, we need this. We need this thing to exist. Um, and so we're making it. It's something we can make and... It's, it is really hard. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of thinking. And, you and know, we almost didn't come back after <laughs> season one. I mean, we really like we had to look at each other and be like, are yeah. we really going to do that again? Yeah. You know, that was really hard. And so it was it was it's a hard thing to commit to doing because it does take so much time. Um, we estimate that it takes us between like 40 and 40 hours. For, I, I would say between 40 and 80 hours to produce the podcast. And then if there's a song in the podcast, no. oh, that takes an additional oh, come on. 20 to 100 hours. I thought that was with the song. Is. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't know. Anyway, Whatever it is. It's a lot of hours. It takes a lot of hours. So we, we really almost didn't come back. Um, but then, you know, all of the positive response we get from kids. And we had a, um, a, a colleague who has a great podcast for kids called the adventures of Finn Caspian. 
he listened to a bunch of ear snacks one weekend with his seven-year-old and his younger son and he did this really lovely little like stream twitter stream yeah, he of a review yeah. yeah and he what he said was there's nobody else that could make that podcast he like when he hears something when he hears a piece of art out in the world he knows when it's really really good he thinks to himself like gosh i could never make that like and nobody else could make that like only that person could make that and he feels that way about ear snacks and i think like not that that encouraged me to do season two, but like if we're the only ones who can make it, like, whoa, gosh, we better really better make it. <laughs> well, I want to put drill down on that a little bit more. Why um, why do you feel like it really needs to exist? And also on um, the other side of that, maybe, or as part of that answer, what is so satisfying about hearing kids' voices all together and synthesizing that content? I think treating really small kids as though they are valuable and creative people is basically the basis for, you know, creating world peace or fixing our country slash world. I don't know. Like in the long game, we want to fix everything. Yeah, we want to fix everything. By working with the children. Yeah, but all we can do is like make music and talk to each other and like be silly. So this is how we're doing it. Um, But the the short game is, um, and we tell people this often. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this in an interview before, but um, Eliza, I don't know if you remember when Ainsley was turning three and you asked us if we could come play at her birthday party. And you said, um, and we'd really like to give everyone a CD, but you don't have any new CDs. And we've already given everyone your old <laughs> CD. And we said, well, well, then we'll make a CD. And like how like this one child mm-hmm. who happens to be very special to us, like her need for something caused us to do this whole thing for all these other people. And like everything for us is basically like, like like just a bigger version of that. So we have the 50 people who responded to the survey saying that their kids can't live without ear snacks. And because of that, like we can't stop making it. I would say my, my understanding or the way I um, get excited about that moment as you're describing it, Polly, of hearing the different... Um, recordings the different interviews with the different kids the different content with the different kids and starting to put them together and synthesize them I would say two things just like to to just put different language on what you're saying that listening to children as people and valuing what they have to say as um, equally legitimate to what an adult has to say is a radical act listening to children as people is a radical act in this society and then part of that process of um, synthesizing and seeing what they say together and seeing how much knowledge they have as a group is again a reinforcement and a deepening of that um, of how you are treating them as um, you're treating their knowledge as legitimate and you're treating their knowledge as equally valuable it's the basis for a new kind of modern parenting which we're like so entrenched in now that fundamental belief that children are are inherently capable the the very first thing is to to treat them res- with respect because they deserve respect and when your thesis is to treat a child with respect because they deserve respect that goes beyond race and class and that is the foundation for treating every person with respect because every child becomes a person regardless of um, yeah. what their particular circumstances are Tell me about the next season. What are you hoping to do differently or how are you hoping to grow as podcast makers and as Andrew and Polly? 
um i i do we do hope our audience grows we you know we started the podcast like we asked five kids we knew to be on the podcast like um, our goddaughter our niece you know people we knew and now we have people from all over the country and all over the world emailing wanting to be on the show um and our audience has grown right now it's it's september 2017 Mm -hmm. and our audience is about like four to six thousand people listening per episode um and i'd love to see that number go up i mean i never thought that we'd have that many people listening but now i'd really like even more and and the difference between it being there and and going up an order of magnitude or two is the difference between it being totally independent and just uh, you know a thing, us, fun thing we do on the side us burning the midnight oil to get these these and fun, fun pieces out and something that would be a little more sustainable yeah um, and then the other thing I think this is an internal goal, goal that has like an external implication mm. is like we did a lot of things wonderfully by accident last time <laughs> you know <laughs> this is what I was trying we, to say yeah yes. we had a lot of like really great accidents happen whether it was in guests or meaning or whatever and it makes you feel good when you listen to it at the end and you're like gosh we did that that's so great but then you wonder like could i ever do that again so really i just tearing our hair out like half the time we had a hard time i hope we can do it again (laughs) like that's that's my goal is to make these and i'm not going to say we can control the accidents even i'm just going to say to make the accidents happen so this has just been so much fun and I love thinking about season two and I love that I have no idea what it's going to be like and um, it makes me want to have some questions. Aww. Well, we are so thankful you wanted to do this. Thank you, you for asking to. them. No, but also, I mean, will you guys send me some questions? Will you, will yes. you send some questions for us? Because yes. I'm sure everybody listening to this wants to have questions. Oh, so maybe we should reiterate how do we get some questions sent to us if our family wants to participate and help out with the podcast. It's super duper easy. Just email us. You email earsnacks at andrewandpolly.com. Yep. We write back and we figure out a way to get any kid who wants to be on. We'll figure out a way to get them on. That's awesome. Thanks again to Eliza Gregory for talking to us about what we're doing with earsnacks and why we're doing it. You can find out more about Eliza Gregory at ElizaGregory.com. And if you made it all that way through all that stuff, a big pat on the back to you. Good job. Way to go. Woo! (laughs) Thanks for being an Ear Snacks supporter. And get excited for season two. Starts next week. Yeah, Wednesday, October 18th. We hope you're going to like it. To find out more about Ear Snacks, how to support it, or how to be on the show, visit earsnacks.org.